Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if this is your first time, we're glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Before we jump in, would you just uh, have a word of prayer with me? Our Father, I, um, I'm so thankful for this, uh, this time together this morning where we, that you've given us, where you've gathered us, where you've brought us together to, to hear the gospel, to remember the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to one another, to, to make Jesus known. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would, would make Jesus known to each one of our hearts, that we would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love for us. And Lord, that you would send us from this place just overflowing uh, with, with, the, with the gospel in deed and in word as we go uh, to, to tell the whole world about who you are and what you've done and what you're doing and that you're coming again. I pray that your Holy Spirit would say what you'd have said this morning and that you'd have each uh, ear have what you'd have us hear as you work in our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what would happen if we could trust Jesus with 100% of everything? What would happen if we could trust Jesus with 100% of everything? And I feel a little bit at risk uh, bringing this up and say, asking this question, but I believe it has to be asked. What would happen if we could trust Jesus with 100% of everything? Like, what if we could submit our money our kids, our weapons, and more, and everything, what if we could submit it all, trusting him in life and trusting him in death because of our faith in the gospel? Now, some may like that question, some may not. Don't check out on me yet. Just bear with me for a little while if you would. But that's the question we're going to be looking at this morning is what if we could submit everything over to him, trusting him in life and in death because of our faith in the gospel. There's a resource called the New City Catechism. I think it's like 32 question answers. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's good for your kids. It's good for the whole family. Uh, you can look it up online. You can get the book. You can get the app. You can sing songs with it. It's great. But the first question is this in the New City Catechism. What is our only hope in life and death? And some of you may know the answer. What is our only hope in life and death? Answer that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the scripture that they put with it is Romans 14, 7 through 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether you live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. What would happen if we could trust Jesus with 100% of everything in life and in death? What if we could submit our money, our kids, our weapons, our everything, trusting Jesus in life and death because of our faith in the gospel that says we are his. We belong to him. I think that that's the type of witnesses that the Spirit is making us into, right? That's the type of witnesses that the Spirit is making us into. And of course, we're in this series in Acts, in these few chapters in Acts, where we're focusing in on witnesses, what it means to be a witness. 
And that's what I think is going on here. I think that that's the type of witnesses that the Spirit wants to make us into. So last week we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, uh, how they lied and how they held back from God and from the community, and God killed them on the spot. We had a guest speaker because uh, it was just too difficult for me. Uh, That's a joke. I'm sorry. But we had a guest speaker, Dante Stewart. He was here. He did a great job with a very difficult passage, I thought, uh, handled it really well. And I really love this thing that he said. He said, what we do with what we have says a lot about who we are and what we want. And what Ananias and Sapphira couldn't give over to God said a lot about who they were and what they really wanted, right? And then that scene leads into this week's scene by the way of this, like, buffer. In chapter 5, we're we're in chapter 5 of Acts, uh, verses 12 through 16. So we're going to read that first before we get into the the rest of the passage. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. This is right after Ananias and Sapphira. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multiples of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing in the sick, or bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Did you catch that one part? Like none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's like after hearing what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, Folks are forced to kind of deal with like a weighty question of can you trust Jesus with 100% of everything? Because to join up with this thing and to follow him and to be part of this community seems like it means to give everything over and go all in. I mean, what happened to those who didn't trust, who went in half-heartedly? Like Ananias and Sapphira are dead. And what happened to those who did trust? and who were in wholeheartedly. We see them, they're giving everything over. They're feeding the hungry. They're healing the sick. They're spreading the message of Jesus, like, as Lord and Savior everywhere. And one thing that's pretty exciting here is that we're already beginning to see uh, the the story advance from that outline of Acts 1.8, right? Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we look at that passage as like the most succinct outline for the whole book of Acts. We're beginning to see the Holy Spirit advance even through that. In this little passage we just saw, we see that people are already coming from outside of Jerusalem in, right? The towns around are starting to bring their sick in uh, to hear the gospel. And then later on in this passage, we'll get there in a minute, Jerusalem, it's filled with the teachings of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the question is, what what could happen if we trusted Jesus 100% with everything in life and in death? Well, in this story that we're going through in Acts so far, we just, of the early church, we see the sick healed. We see hungry people fed. We see each person's needs being met as needed. We see the gospel advancing. 
just as Jesus said it would in Acts 1-8, by the Holy Spirit and through witnesses who are trusting Jesus with 100% of everything, all of it in life and in death. And so this week, as we continue in the story, we're going to see how these acts of trust, these acts of obedience and submission to Jesus bring the kingdom of heaven like toe-to-toe with the powers that and authority structures of the day. And I think there's a challenge in, there for, in it for us. But first, we're going to read through it. It's, uh, it's chapter 5, verse 17 through 42. It's just one big scene. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn there. Acts chapter 5, 17 through 42. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all, of the, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, 
from house and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Any any John Mayer fans in here? This will go good then. Uh, is any is anybody familiar with that John Mayer song, "Waiting on the World to Change"? You don't have to be a fan. Maybe you're just familiar with this song. I can't stand that song. Right? If you're not familiar with the song, here's the lyrics. It says this. Me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. Boo-hoo. <clears throat> they say we stand for nothing, and there's no way we ever could. Now, we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep waiting. Waiting. Waiting on... <laughs> <laughs> waiting on the world to change. It's really a catchy song, but I just, I can't stand it. We feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it, so we're just going to wait, waiting on the world to change. Like, it's the most, one of the most, like, asinine outlooks I've ever heard. But on the other hand, I'm also not into politics. I don't like to even go there. I don't like to talk about politics that much, and I don't think the answers to the world's problems lie in our political systems. Like, if you've ever had a conversation with me regarding politics, uh, you probably didn't get much out of it. You probably found that I didn't have much to add, at least not to the conversation uh, as far as that goes. Because I usually feel like we just talk in circles each around each other, right, and we get nowhere. We kind of just center in on this second line of authority and the earthly kingdoms and the earthly powers, and we tend to filter our understanding of the kingdom of God through our view and understanding of earthly authorities and earthly power structures, whereas we, we should be understanding our earthly power structures through the lens of the kingdom of God. And so what ends up happening is we just kind of a polarizing conversation, lots of uh, dividedness, and we just team up against one another, and I just don't like it. I don't like feeling like that. I don't like being in the conversation. But I think that Luke is like letting us in on another way here. Because we don't, we don't have to lie around just waiting on the world to change. Nor do we have to play a game and gain, gain control of some like earthly kingdom or some earthly authority system to be able to change the world. Those are not the only two things that can happen. Because everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. And I say that Everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. I say that knowing that it sounds nice and churchy, and it sounds like the thing to say. And I get, man, once, once you become a pastor, like, it's the worst. You can just get shoved in this other box where nobody has to listen to you. Not just from here, like in any conversation, right? And I don't want to be put in that box, and I don't want us to put this thing in that, like, nice churchy thing to say box, I think this is truth. We have everything, everything the world needs, we already have it to give in Jesus. And I think that the measure of how much we believe that will likely be how much the world has changed by what we have to give. I'm not trying to get you to earn something. I don't want to get you to pull up your bootstraps and go change the world. That's not the point. I want to try to prick our ears open this morning so we can hear this. Everything the world needs, we, even here at Redemption Church, already have it to give in Jesus. 
church? And what if the church, instead of lying around waiting for the world to change, or instead of having to play this game and gain a power structure to make, what if the church just went first into sacrificing for the good of others? What if that's what it means to be a witness? As we look at this story, we're just going to highlight three things quickly. Number one, Christ alone is our authority. Christ alone is our authority. Number two, witnesses live a life that gives life. And then number three, the Spirit's work can't stop, won't stop. So the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that Christ alone is our authority. This is a pretty easy implication to pull out of the text. We see the high priest and the Sadducees, they've already demanded the apostles not to be preaching in Jesus' name. So they go and they arrest the apostles and they put them in prison. And then the angel of the Lord opens the door and tells them, in verse uh, 20, go to the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. He opens the door, lets them out, go to the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And then, of course, the authorities are not happy when they find out about this. And in verse 28, they charge them with this. We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you, have filled, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Did you hear that part about Jerusalem being filled with their teaching? Like, that's exciting. That's exciting stuff. But also, hear where these authorities are coming from in their charge. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. See, part of the problem is that they merely believe Jesus to be a man. And a dead man at that. So, of course, they think that their authority supersedes his and his apostles and his disciples. All these men in authority could see was a dead man and a people refusing to bow to their will and acknowledge their power. But, of course, too, like, given the opportunity, they would change the world, right? They would try to change the world. They wanted more power. They had to play the political game, gain control, and find a way to change the world by establishing their kingdom. And they filtered God's power through the earthly authority structures. So they couldn't afford this disruption to their strategy. They couldn't afford this interruption uh, to their power. But listen to how the apostles respond in verse 29 through 32. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The apostles were witness to Jesus alive. They were witness to Jesus exalted and ruling with the Father over all things. They knew Christ as their ultimate authority. They saw the Holy Spirit at work to bring about restoration through the good news of Jesus. Like they'd been, they'd been busted out of prison. An angel unlocked the door and let them out to go and tell the good news. And what they've witnessed, they go and bear witness about to others. They even deliver the good news to these leaders right there in that message saying, he came to bring repentance for Israel and forgiveness of sin. See, everything the world needed, they already had it to give in Jesus. And they were already seeing the world change by speaking these words of life 
and giving away everything that they had. Christ was their ultimate authority, so they would obey God over men. And obedience largely is a trust issue. So the apostles were convinced that they could trust him with 100% of everything in life and in death. So they would obey Christ and follow Christ, and they would be his witnesses in the face of a court of men that would kill them. They obeyed Christ there because they were witness and because they could trust him in life and in death. And they delivered the good news that Jesus is Lord and has ultimate authority. And that while these, these men and these authorities were enemies of God, they hung him on the tree. The same thing that made Jesus Lord was also what proved him Savior so they too could repent. They too could have forgiveness of sin. And they too could follow Jesus' authority. So the question is, do you believe Jesus holds ultimate authority over all things? Do you believe Jesus holds ultimate authority over things, over all things? Can you really trust him with 100% of everything that you have and everything that you are in life and in death? The second thing that I want us to see in this passage is that a witness lives a life that gives life. A witness lives a life that gives life. I said we'd come back to it, so here we are. This is verse 20 again, uh, Acts 5, verse 20. The angel of the Lord opens the door of the prison and tells the apostles, go to the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. And some will say, go to the people and preach the message of salvation, which you might find more relatable even to the situation. I mean, they're in prison, and then they're saved from prison, and they're rescued from their captivity. And they're called to preach that Jesus has come to set people free from captivity to sin, right? Now, what some, I think, might preach here, or what you might even be tempted to take away from this passage, is that God busted them out of prison, so they were obligated to go and preach the word in return. But in every passage of the Bible, wherever we're reading, we should be asking the question, how is this good news? How is this good news? And a message that says, I did this for you, now you go do this for me, I think that's less about good news and more a message of debt collecting. Right? So what's the good news here? What's going on here with this command to go and speak the word of life, go and speak the message of salvation? Now, simply put, you and I were created with the express purpose of glorifying God and making him known. That is why we exist. That's why God made us. With the purpose of glorifying God and making him known. Basically, we are created to be witnesses. And it's in our doing that very thing. It's in that witnessing and in glorifying God and making God known to others and in the world. It's in that very thing that we experience life most satisfying. See, what sin has done is it's arrested our minds. It's held our minds captive to a belief that we actually exist to glorify ourselves and to make ourselves known. And in doing that very thing, when we do that, which we're prone to do, we're dying and we're killing ourselves because it's not satisfying and it's not what we were made for. It can never satisfy us because we weren't made for that. 
So the good news is that Jesus has set us free from our captivity to that way, to that way that leads to death, so that we can live in a way that is truly like life-giving to us, that we were created for and in and through Jesus. That's what we were made to do, which is a life that glorifies God, a life that makes God known, a life that is life-giving to others, a life that bears witness of the glory of God in the name of Jesus. So I'll say it again. Everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. The question is, will we give it away? Because that's what we were made for, the giving it away. That's what we were made for. That's what we are being restored to do and to be witnesses. So I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell myself, bear with me, that you're not living life unless you're giving life. You're not living life unless you're giving it away. That true life is found when we trust Jesus with everything and life and death in order to tell the world about him. And there's an invitation here to like experience the freedom that Jesus has bought for you. You can like step out of that opened door of the prison by trusting him with the things that hold you captive and would keep you from giving life to others and spreading his name. You're freed to stop making much of yourself and to start making much of him, which is what you're made for. A witness lives a life that gives life. And so I'm just going to ask this. Can you trust him with your money? Can you trust him with your money, 100% of your money? Not the 10% that we talk about in church. Can you trust him with 100% of your money? Are you trusting him with 100%? of your money? Or are you captive? Are you captive believing that if you give it away or if you handle it how he'd have you handle it, you'll be wrecked and he won't be happy and you won't be secure and you won't be safe? I feel like it's a hard thing to bring up in church, but like over the past few weeks, it's like just begging to be asked out of these texts. Can you trust him with your money? Like, are you like Barnabas, the son of encouragement in chapter 4, who was giving it all away so that others would have life? Or are you like Ananias and Sapphira, who were just pretending to give it all away and found only death? It's hard to believe because our broken minds are a prison like that seeks to glorify ourselves over glorifying God, and it seeks to make ourselves known and to look out for number one, but there's life found in a life given. A witness lives a life that gives life. And you've been free to trust Jesus with 100% of everything in life and in death, knowing that you are his, that you belong to the Lord in life and in death for eternity. If everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. Will we give it away? I'm asking that a lot because I think it's important. Will we be his witnesses? There's so much here in this passage and in this story, and I'd encourage you to spend some time, like over the week, just going back through it because there's a lot that we can't even handle this morning. But there's one last thing I want us to look at, and that's that the Spirit can't stop and won't stop. We've been seeing the Holy Spirit on the move since we started Acts, Right? And since way before then. And I've mentioned a couple times now, this morning, 
this charge against the apostles in verse 28 where they say, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We just think back to Acts 1.8. Like Jesus said, the spirit would come upon them, that he would make them witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the city is starting to burst at the seams with the gospel. And the spirit is about to bust this movement wide open, and the gospel will start pouring out into the world in all directions. We're almost there in Acts. He can't stop. He won't stop until the gospel's made known to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation. And he's doing it through these witnesses and through the church of Jesus Christ who has found life that keeps giving life. I think it's exciting. I think it's just exciting stuff to read about. It's exciting to see how the Holy Spirit won't stop. But I also want to be very realistic about what's going on too. Because with this scenario near the end of the the scene in chapter 5, where Gamaliel speaks up and convinces the the council not to kill the apostles, I think there's a a temptation for us to walk away believing that this passage is all about how God will protect us if we'll only obey him. Like if, if we'll be obedient, God will protect us. And I don't want us to believe that. Because I don't believe that the good news, and I don't believe the gospel is that small. I think that's a small gospel, and it's not, it's not very big. I believe we can trust Jesus with our life, but I also believe we can trust Jesus with our death. That's bigger. I believe we can trust him with our life, but I also believe we can be trusted with our death. He can advance his name through our death. He can glorify himself through our death and through our suffering. Do you believe that? I believe there's freedom in that for us. See, the better news than God just protecting us if we'll obey, the better news is that the Spirit is at work to restore this world into right relationship with God once and for all through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's not going to stop until it's done. He sovereignly works in this story to keep the apostles alive so that they can continue to bear witness and preach the good news, but they were also beaten. They also suffered. And we're almost to the point, it's it's coming. Right after this, Stephen, a deacon in the church, is going to be stoned to death. He's going to be martyred. And then God and the Holy Spirit is going to use that to start a movement and to scatter the church. Others will suffer. Apostles will die. The story isn't that rosy in that sense. See, the gospel and the good news of Jesus, it's just not about keeping this body intact and keeping this body satisfied. It's bigger than that, right? It's about giving true life that's everlasting, that finds satisfaction in glorifying God and making him known in life, and even our death, because we are his always, because we belong to him. And the good news is that one day Jesus comes back, and restoration will be so sweet. (laughs) 
everything the world needs, we already have it to give in Jesus, including our very life. Can we give that away? Can we trust him in that way? What does it mean for us at Redemption Church to be Jesus' witnesses? You might be tired of me saying it, but everything that the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. It's really just a matter of whether we're going to give it. So maybe we need to ask this question together. What would happen if we, this little small band of people in the room, what would happen if we at Redemption Church could trust Jesus with everything? with 100% on life and in death? What if we could submit our money, our kids, our weapons, and more to the cause of making Christ known? Trusting Jesus in life and in death because of our faith in the gospel. Judging by these stories that we're encountering in Acts, I'd predict that the kingdom advances, that fewer people suffer, that hungry people eat, that sick people are healed, and that Jesus comes back and restoration is completed. And if everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus, then we don't have to wait for the world to change. And we don't have to go win some political game either. Like, can you imagine what it'd be like if the church just went on ahead of the government in our country even? What if the church just went on ahead of the government in caring for the poor, in giving to the needy, and caring for the sick, and, 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 and giving food to the hungry. I'm going to read this excerpt from a, a relevant uh, magazine article from a couple years ago. Check this out. The church of today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news, but it's a statistical fact. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving a 2.5% per capita, while during the Great, De Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate. Now, numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really the point. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%. There'd be an additional 165 billion dollars for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. $25 billion is just a, few list, a, a, a list of a few things the church could do with the money. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than one dollar per day. One billion dollars could fully fund all overseas mission work, and 100 to 110 billion dollars would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. Everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. It's really just a matter of whether we're going to give it. If that seems like too big of a picture, like something that's way too big for Redemption Church alone, that's okay because Redemption Church can just start on Broad Street, right? That's what we've been talking about. Redemption Church can start on Broad Street. And this isn't a sermon about money either. Like, I don't want us to get it all twisted up and be like, oh, we've talked about money. This is a money thing. It's not all about money. 
This is about being witnesses of Jesus and about stewarding 100% of what we have been blessed with to bear witness to the world that he's Lord and Savior and giver of life and forgiver of sins. We have more to give than money, right? We have more to submit than just our money. But money plays a pretty significant role in our lives, and it's a pretty good indicator of what has our heart's allegiance. We have to, we just have to deal with it. We have to start there. You've got to ask questions about money in our culture. And I know this is radical in our culture, and I'm not, I don't want to be divisive or polarizing, but just to give another instance of where we, where, what if we went first? What if we laid down our weapons as a church? I mean, and I mean that to say, like, what if we could trust Jesus with the security of our families? What if we could trust him in life and death to satisfy us in making his name known because we are his forever? And what if we trusted him to use our death even, what if we could trust him to make his name known through that? Regardless. I'm not saying that in order to like experience salvation, we have to go and give God something or give up something uh, to do some sort of work. And then it's, come on, that's not the gospel. I'm not, I don't want to go there. And so I'll just end and I'll tell you very clearly, like Peter keeps telling those as he preaches in Acts. Jesus Christ laid down his life. Jesus Christ was killed on a tree. God raised him from the dead, and he is exalted as our king. Jesus bowed ultimately to the authority of his father, even when, even when it cost him his life. And he gave his life away in radical ways, and he led his disciples and the apostles who led more, than he, these early witnesses, to do the exact same thing, to give their life in radical ways. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is making that known to you and to me in such a way that we question, that we question together whether we can submit everything in life and death to Jesus to see him glorified in all the earth, to see him glorified on Broad Street. So what are you holding on to that you should be giving away? Like what holds you captive? What's got you imprisoned? Where don't you have freedom? Where can't you trust Jesus. I mean, I think the message is clear this morning, but the prison door is open. And you can go out with the good news and with the word of life. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Everything the world needs, we already have to give in Jesus. It's just a matter of whether we're going to give it. So the questions are, do you believe Christ has ultimate authority? Would you answer to him over men? Would you answer to him over yourself? Do you believe Christ has ultimate authority? Can you trust him? Do you believe there is life in the giving? And do you believe the Holy Spirit is advancing this thing toward a beautiful restoration where there's no more tears, where there's no more quarrels, where there's no more toiling, and where we're, we experience unity and peace, we're made of people in and through Jesus Christ once and for all? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is making this happen and that he's going to get us there and that it's worth getting on board with because it's awesome? Will you bear witness of Jesus in such a way that fewer suffer, that the hungry eat, that the sick are healed, and that salvation springs up from the ground until Jesus comes 
back. Are we doing that? And will you do that? Will we be his witnesses? We're going to move into a time of response like we do each week. And we're just going to have the band come up. They're going to lead us in some time to worship and time to pray, a time of reflection. And you can stand and you can sing together. You can sit and pray. There's also a prayer box in the back if you have things that you'd like us to pray for you about. I'd encourage you to stick them in that ballot box back there. And we'll pray for you. There's also a giving basket in the back where we can tithe, where we can give of our offerings. I know I just talked about money, right? That's there for you to worship in that way. And then also each week we talk, we take communion together. And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of this church or not, what we do, you can come. We invite you to come with us. We just come down this aisle. There'll be servers on each side, and we take the bread, and you can dip it in the wine or the juice, and we're remembering who Christ is and what he's done, that he came, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he is Lord, and that he is also our Savior. And we're just remembering that together and proclaiming that to each other because we are forgetful people, and we need to hear it, and we need to remember it, and we need to claim it. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not come because you can't say that. Instead, we want you to be able to say that. So hear what we're saying in this action. Hear what we're proclaiming in this demonstration. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Savior. And there's life there for you, and you're invited. We'd be glad to pray with you. Uh, If you have any questions, you can grab one of us for that. I'm going to pray, and we'll move into that. Our Father, we... uh, come before you knowing that that I just come before you knowing that I'm still captive. I I come before you knowing that like while you save me, there's still more parts of my heart that I haven't let the good news into yet. And I know that's true for us all in the room. I pray that you make the gospel known to these unevangelized places of our hearts, that we would experience you anew over and over each day that we would find that you are, you can be trusted, that you've proven it. You stepped out of heaven, you came, you lived, you died, you were buried and you rose again and you're exalted on high and you're our king and we can trust you. Like let us see even as we go through these scriptures that and time and time again it's just so obvious the Holy Spirit is moving, the Holy Spirit is at work and nothing is going to thwart his work. And you are restoring all things. Like, just help us to trust you and to believe that like, we can trust you so much that we can give our everything, even our very life, and that there'll be more life there for us because that's what we were created to be. And I just, I want us to get that so bad, Lord. But we're broken. If we're looking to advance ourselves or advance anything else, the only thing we're made for is advance and glorify your name. And that's all that we, that's where, that's the only place we'll ever find joy. That's the only place we'll ever find satisfaction. And it's good. It's good news for us. Lord, I pray that you would just make this very real for us and that you would move us and like guide us with wisdom. On, on how to give and where to submit and, and those things that you'd even bind us together 
through those conversations. And, and Father, I pray that you send us out by the power of your Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news, and that you prepare the way as we go. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.